Hey. Good morning. Oh. Do you remember that time when you woke up in your bed, the first morning you woke up, and something really significant had changed the day before? Remember you woke up for the first time, and maybe it was the, when you moved out of your parents' house, and you moved into an apartment or a dorm or someplace. You weren't living with your parents anymore. Maybe you were... you went to college, university, or something like that. You were an adult, a significant change. You woke up, and now you've entered this new life. Remember that? That first morning? Do you remember the questions you had? Remember the first morning you woke up after you were married, and you look over and see your spouse, and you're like, I'm a husband now. I'm a wife now. And do you remember the questions you had? The things you were wondering? You remember when maybe for those of you who've had kids that you woke up that morning and there was a bassinet, maybe you woke up a little earlier than you wanted to, and, uh, <laughs> and you were a dad now? You're a mom now? Do you remember the questions you had? Do you remember waking up that, that morning after the divorce was finalized? Do you remember the questions you had? Do you remember waking up that morning after the diagnosis? Questions that you had? Hmm. You entered into this new life. We use the words like seasons. Something significant has changed. And maybe one common question among all these scenarios that you ask is, how do I do this? How do I do this? Given this new identity, this new life, how do I do it? And that's exactly where we are right now in our study of 1 Peter. Peter has just laid out who God is, what God has done for us, and then in very clear, direct terms says who we are that we are priests in a royal priesthood. We're citizens of a holy nation. We're chosen people among a a chosen people group. We are people after God's own possession. He says this about us. Do you remember the morning you woke up after you you decided to follow Christ? Like, I'm a Christian now. I'm a follower of Jesus now. 
The Bible says, the book of Peter says, the apostle Peter says that I am a priest in a royal priesthood. I am a citizen of a holy nation. I'm chosen. I'm a person after God's own possession. How do I do this? And that, that's exactly where Peter at, is at right now with us. And for the next few weeks, months probably, <laughs> we're going to be going through um, how. How do we do it? How do we do this? And the question that I've learned to ask when I don't know how to do something or where to start or whatever is to ask the question of what's the most important thing? If I'm confused and not sure what to do in this scenario, I ask, what's the objective? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the most important thing? If, if, I, this, is, if this is who I am, if I'm a husband, a dad, uh, if I've had a significant change in my life, all right, let's reset. What's the most important thing? And given what Peter has said about us, royal priesthood, holy nation, what's the most important thing? And Peter lays it out pretty clearly. He says, live such good lives among the pagans, those who don't believe. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And here's, here's the most important thing, that they would glorify God on the day he visits us. One common thread throughout all the apostles and disciples and their writings is the importance of glorifying God. The most important thing. So when I wake up in the morning as this citizen of a holy nation, what's the most important thing is to glorify God and that others would glorify God as a result of my life. He says it right, he packages it right here, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So how do you do that? He mentions good deeds. If our aim is to glorify God and then bring others in to glorify God as well, how do we do that? Well, Peter goes into that. And he goes a little bit deeper, a little more specific. He says, a little bit later, he says, this little package verse, I'm just going to bring it all down to this, honor Everyone. And that's what we're going to name this series, Honor Everyone, because it's a common theme throughout the next few uh, passages here. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about suffering. And in this, one common thread, there's others, but one of them is honor everyone. The core to Christian theology and teaching is this, honor everyone. Now, I looked at the Greek Behind this phrase, because this might make you swallow hard. Like, uh, every really does it say everyone? So the word for honor, if you look up the Greek, the literally what it means is honor. And if you look up the word everyone, literally what it means is everyone. There's no wiggle room here. Honor. To see the value in another person. To see that another person has value and to honor that. One definition of that was venerate. See value. 
in that person. Everyone, all. Yes, that person. Yes. Doesn't say tolerate everyone. And tolerate's like the lowest level, isn't it? I'm just going to tolerate you. Honor is actually seeing the person. Seeing the value in the person. And honoring that person. And this raises lots of questions when you think about it. When you try to apply it. When you think about you have faces go by in your mind. Are there people in your life that may be tough to honor? Yeah, I have them as well. But this is a common thread. And he goes, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today. He goes right into something that's very, well, in the first century, it was very contentious. And that's politics. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we don't have to deal with that here and now. But if you can imagine with me back then, the political realm was very intense. And he says this. Now, hold on. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I looked up the Greek on this. It means every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor. Now stop for a second. Scholars believe that the book of 1 Peter was written in AD 64. It's dated in AD 64. You can Google it later and see if, I was, if I'm telling the truth. But yes, AD 64. And, they, and that's about the same time that Nero was the emperor. And it's about four years before he commits suicide and he gets a little bit crazy. And the story goes, and I'll just go very quickly through it, is that he decided at one point to burn some buildings and it got out of control and basically burned uh, way more than he wanted to. And he ended up blaming the Christians on it and thus started some severe persecution of the church because of this guy Nero. So Peter, the apostle Peter, writes this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether it be to the emperor, gulp, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Does this verse raise any questions for you as we consider the political environment we find ourselves in today? I know it does for me. He goes on. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Remember that the most important thing to Peter is glorifying God and that others would glorify God. And that our good deeds would put to silence anyone who is critiquing the church or us. He wants our good deeds to reflect who this God is and what he is like and what his kingdom is like. And by that, silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. We are free. We're free in Christ. But don't use it. Don't abuse it. But live as servants. Serve. This is Peter's heart. 
And in the midst of extreme turmoil, extreme political, and a very intense political environment, this is his teaching to Christians who are scattered all throughout the region. Do good, honor the emperor, be subject to every institution, human institution. And this isn't just Peter's thing. This is a teaching that's found all throughout the scripture. For example, in the book of Titus, it says, Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that, what's the why? So that an opponent may be put to shame and have nothing evil to say about us. One of the barometers of following Christ, according to Titus and Peter, is people saying bad things about us. Now, does that raise a lot of questions? I know it does for me. Paul picks up on this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So God's responsible for these governments. He put them into place. And th- those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Jesus said, let your light shine before men, that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is a running refrain throughout the New Testament. That we as Christians are to be good, earthly citizens. That they would get a taste of the kingdom of God. That they would glorify our God in heaven because of what the church is doing. And Peter wraps it here. He says, honor everyone. Love, agape is the, the, the Greek word there. We've been talking about agape, this unconditional love. Agape, the church, the brotherhood, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Agape them. Fear God. Stop for a second on this one. Fear God. Peter Think about this. Peter lived with Jesus for three years in the inner circle. He got to be mentored directly by Jesus. More than that, he was, Jesus was his rabbi, his direct teacher. And in those days, when you followed the rabbi or followed your teacher, you did everything that the rabbi did. You observed all of it. So for three years, Peter got a a front row seat to Jesus. And then he saw the Roman government do the worst that it could do to him. And it wasn't enough to keep Jesus down. And if you were to see that, if you were to live and see Christ for three years and then die and, and come back to life, would you have any fear of any human institution or any emperor or any political system? I think it would be rational to say no if you saw that. You would suddenly see the world in a whole different light. And we saw, we saw this transformation in Peter. If you think about it, he denied Christ. Right when Christ was being brought to the cross, he denied him. Right? But then we see in the book of Acts, him preaching boldly about Christ. Something shifted in Peter, didn't it? And so when Peter can stand up and say, honor everyone, including the emperor, including the governors, he's saying, look, Christians, we can be confident. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to have 
anxiety about this. Yes, there's terrible things that are going on, but there's something that's more important than anything else. And that is that this world needs to see Christ and the kingdom. That's more important than tax reform or immigration policy or an economic plan or philosophy. It's the kingdom of God, what Peter would say. That matters more than anything else. And we don't need to fear. Fear God. Does Peter not have the right to say that? He saw it up close. And he's saying to people in this intense political season, honor everyone, agape, everyone in the church, fear God, and then honor the emperor. I don't know about you, but that's pretty, uh, that, that's, uh, that raises lots of questions for me. I mean, what about, what about these things, all these issues that I'm frustrated about? I mean, there's some real problems that we have in our country. How can I honor a government that I don't agree with? And there's all these things that, that morally are wrong we need to deal with. Look, I think what Peter's saying here is not that we would minimize any of these issues, but what do we do with them? How do we do this life? What is most important? How do we do this? How do we wake up and be good citizens? And Peter would say, let's let our good deeds shine. Let's represent the gospel well. Let's give the world a taste of what the kingdom is like. I, I think this, this passage is so relevant to where we're at right now. Um, you know, for the last 1,800 years, the church has had a really, really, really good standing among Western culture especially. But then the last 30 years or so, it's kind of been on this decline. And so to read this is really relevant. And the coach, Peter, our coach, is saying, Church, let's let our good deeds shine. Peter's saying this. Paul's saying this. Jesus is saying this. Let's let our good deeds shine. Not so they can see how great we are, but they can see how great Jesus is. I find that, um, I don't know about you, but in social media, that it can get pretty vicious. Have you noticed this? And one thing I notice is that a lot of times Christians get engaged in stuff. And it's really important things. Please, please don't hear. I'm not minimizing it. I'm trying to prioritize the issues with the kingdom of God, trying to make it relative to that. And so I see Christians get online and they engage and they, and they argue. And a lot of times there's these long threads of, of comments and I'll read them. And a lot of times to me, it feels like this, like, uh, like this, like this, like this. There it is. To me, it feels like this. Two blindfolded guys boxing. They're not watching the other punches, really. They're just punching. And there's not much being accomplished. And they're going at it, full on. I love the guy at the end. He just throws off the thing. 
I wanted to put this, oh, it's on loop. I wanted to put this video in your mind because before you engage in another comment stream online, before you dive into that, think about that video for a second. I, I really don't think it's accomplishing that much. What I want to do this morning is I want to take Peter's words to heart and I want to ask the question of what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? If you go to the next slide. And that is, they would see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When you wake up in the morning, what's more important? That you get your political views across? That you're right? Or that you're concerned with the kingdom of God and how you're representing that? Peter says you're an ambassador to Christ. Ambassador to the kingdom of God. How are you representing that? Think about this. You only have so much influence over people. You have a level of influence over people. And it can run out. You can suddenly, people can just go, look, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm done. And so the question I want to ask is how, how are you using your, how are you using your influence for the most important thing. How are you using your influence to accomplish the most important thing? What is it to you and what are you doing for that? And are you, and this is the concern, are you wasting your influence on something that isn't that, you know, important compared to the kingdom of God and to Jesus? And for those of you who aren't Christians, this, this, this talk is really not really relevant to you because we're, we're saying the most important thing is Christ. But for you, maybe the most important thing is something. And what are, are you using your influence for that? That's all we're saying on principle here. But Peter would say it's to help people see God and see and taste the kingdom. What are you doing every morning when you wake up and throughout your day that they would see your good deeds and glorify God? I, uh, I, met a, I remember I met a pastor in Dallas once who was starting a church in kind of this progressive part of town. And for the first year, their objective, number one objective, was just simply to change the perception of Christians in that town. That was it. If the town had an inaccurate uh, view of Christians, that they, all they were trying to do is just change the perception a little bit. And they would consider that a win. That's what they were going after. I love that. And, and of course, they would love to see people come and follow Christ. But the one thing they were going after right away, the first thing was just, look, there's a lot of criticism in the church right now, judgmental, all sorts of stuff that are being said about us. Um, not love, not honor, typically. And their goal was just, let's just go out there and let's, let's, let's make sure they have an accurate picture of who Christians are and what they're all about. There's another church that's nearby that we know, um, uh, that we've had some connection with, that <clears throat> they decided they wanted to show uh, what Jesus was like within where they, right where they were at. They, they saw a need, and they thought, look, the, the church, the kingdom of God would meet this need. So what they did is they, um, they were meeting in a school, and in the school there, there was, they discovered that a lot of the students there were taking home uh, 
A lot of the student, like elementary age students were, were taking lunch and putting it in their pockets because they didn't have enough at home. And this came up as a, the, the, the church is meeting with the, the principal and they're talking about this problem and, and a, an idea came about. And the idea was, well, let's, how about this? How about on Fridays, the church will get a bunch of volunteers, we'll put together bags of non-perishable foods, and we'll put them in the backpacks of these kids. There was, at Sheridan Elementary in Northeast Minneapolis, there was about 34 kids at that time. So they started to do this. And they noticed that it had an impact. Not only on the kids who were, um, who didn't have enough food at home, but also the, the classrooms. Because these kids would come and come back from the weekend and be nourished. And the, the, the faculty just noticed, like, what would we, and, and there was even a, there was an article that was written where the principal said, I don't know what we'd do without this church. The principal said, I don't know what we'd do without this church. And then another school said, we've noticed the same thing. Can we figure out a way? We're not that far away. Can we figure out another way where you could, we could, you could help us get this going? So the same church said, okay, so let's figure out how to do two churches or two schools. So this church mobilized on their team of volunteers and got, the, got it set up. And every week they would distribute bags of food into the backpacks of kids at this other school. Guys, that was three years ago. They're now at 90 schools. And they put over 3,500 bags of food into backpacks every week in the metro area. Yeah. Amen. They're, they're blown away. When you talk to them, like, we didn't know. We had no idea. They, they, they went from a church thing to now they started a nonprofit. And... I find the whole thing compelling because one, it's really simple. And two, the whole model of it is the church connecting with a public school and meeting a need, partnering. And I look at this, I go, this is the kingdom of God. This is what Peter's talking about. Let's let our good deeds shine. So this last summer we met with an elementary school in uh, called Greenleaf. And, um, and there, myself and others from this church, and we, we met with the, the principal and met with the, um, the leadership there. And I got to tell you, it was funny. It was kind of awkward. It was like, okay, how does the church and public school talk? Like, how do, how do you talk to a pastor? How do you talk to a principal? It was really, it was funny. We were just, we laughed about it. Like, we don't, how do we do this? Um, but it was a beautiful thing that was, that you could see emerging. This partnership between two entities that, for whatever reason or culture, are not connected even though there's so much need so we started meeting with them and uh um there's a few here and maybe some of you know some of them that are that are on a weekly basis or twice a week are distributing food into greenleaf elementary and then raising funds as well for this we just just kind of started doing that and uh it's amazing what what the just being a presence within that school what that does and i think that it's we're just on the cusp of where it could head. I want to show you a little video to kind of just give you that heart of what, what these guys are all about. Here it is. At nine years old, Jordan should be worried about things like reading and spelling. I like to color. Not something as serious as whether she'll go hungry this weekend. Have you ever been hungry on the weekend? Sometimes. 
I was pretty hungry since I was living at my grandma's house and she didn't have much money. Jordan is the face of child hunger in America. She is one of more than 212,000 children in the state of Minnesota who go hungry on weekends when they aren't able to receive food at school. And she's not alone. In the Twin Cities, there are more than 100,000 kids who suffer from food insecurity. These hungry kids are in every school, with the highest numbers in schools like Sheridan Elementary in Northeast Minneapolis. 94% of our students are in poverty. Assistant Principal Wendy Jarson says she first realized just how dire the problem was after discovering kids stealing food from the cafeteria on Fridays. Kids are stealing food or taking food that they really shouldn't take more. They are only supposed to take one of each thing. And if they're hoarding it, that means they must be hungry at home. Administrators brought up the problem to Mill City church members who rent the school's auditorium for worship on Sundays. That just broke our heart. And the principal said, is there anything that the church can do? And our response was simple. If, if, they're, if they're stealing food on Friday, how about we just give them food so they can take it home and have something to eat on the weekend? And that's how the Sheridan story began. Here's how it works. Churches and community organizations agree to sponsor a school by providing funding and volunteers. The Sheridan story then works out the logistics, from sourcing and inventory management, to packing, storage, and delivery for distribution, which makes it possible for the churches and organizations to then give the food to hungry kids. And our job tonight is to pack 1,600 meals. It takes a lot of volunteers to make it all happen. Wrap it up, tie it, and we'll put it in that black bin. Keep track of how many are in that bin. On this night, as volunteers pack bags of food for the kids, Jordan and her mother Lisa stop by. It makes me want to cry. Lisa is a single mom who often struggles to make ends meet. She says she was moved to tears when she saw all these volunteers. Complete strangers, working so hard out of love for kids like Jordan. It's so emotional to see so many people caring and putting their heart, their time, their energy into helping others. And to see that on, on that mom and daughter's face is just, it's so important. And at, and at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about families like theirs feeling like people care and people are, are on their side and people are saying, you can do this. On Fridays, while Jordan and the other kids are in class, the Sheridan Story volunteers go down the long list, placing the bags of food in children's backpacks in their lockers. The children that we're putting the food in these lockers for don't have enough food to sustain them over the weekend. And so I know that keeps me coming back and serving here. Studies show weekend food programs like this address more than just the issue of physical hunger. Kids who are hungry have a difficult time learning, paying attention in class, uh, interacting with their peers or, their, or the adults at their school. These volunteers want to help change that. Congregations and other community groups are partnering with schools in a unique way to address a basic human need that will ultimately build a better community for the future. We're feeding these kids because we love them, because God loves them, and because it breaks God's heart that they're hungry. The Sheridan story is standing with our community partners and saying this is not acceptable. Kids in our community, our kids are hungry, and we're going to do something about it.
love that. And I love their program um, because, I mean, the need is compelling. It's, it's, it's hard to not say that. Um, in fact, we, we support them. And um, tomorrow I'm meeting with the principal at Greenleaf and to talk a little bit about where things are at. And, and it's, some, it's just some, uh, just kind of do a check in there. And there's about a, about $1,500 gap in what they, in what they need. They're just trying to meet. And um, I would love to be able to tell her we met it today. And the way you can do it is you go to this website, sharedinstory.com slash Chapel Hill. That way it's, it's part of our thing. And there's a couple ways you can support. One is 12 bucks a month to support a kid. And that, that provides weekly meals for them on the weekends. Or for four kids, 48 bucks. Or you can do one kid for a whole year for 130 bucks. Um, if about 13 of you did it, we would meet it. If you just supported one kid, about 13 families would do it. So pray about it. Um, I, I know we've hit you with a lot of different things, but, but this is what, this is shining. This is a one way. There's several ways to shine. This is one way to shine. And I've seen it. I've seen the impact and, and just the interactions that you have with school leaders and officials. And, um, and maybe you have the question of, can, I, can we do this in our school? Yes. Paul recently went to a, a, um, a superintendent meeting, and the superintendent was just blown away. One, by the need. Um, one article I read said that the po- poverty in Rosemont, Apple Valley, and Egan has risen 87% since 2005. And last year, Greenleaf in particular, they had 50 kids in the program. This year, they're running between 90 and 100. So in one year, they saw the program and the, the, the need double. Um, and so the superintendent gets up in front of the, the, these, these pastors and says, I'm blown away by the need. We're blown away. And so um, get engaged with something like this or be inspired by something like this. I love the model of trying to connect churches with the school. Let's let ourselves and the kingdom shine and represent Christ well by showing off what the kingdom is like. In meeting needs like this. Um, if you go to the next one. Uh, I think this is a beautiful way to show what Jesus is like. And um, this whole statement of honoring everyone, honoring everyone, we'll dive in more. There's more to come over the next few weeks. I didn't answer all of it. And there's several questions raised. And I'd love to hear your questions as well. If, if this has sparked anything in you, um, please ask it. But um, we are going to move to the table. And I want to make one final thought on that because Jesus sat around in the last supper, sat around the table with all of his disciples. And over here was a zealot and over here was a tax collector and over here was a fisherman. And within that 12, he had a a diverse group of people with a diverse worldview and perspectives And then he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And he took a cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And so get that picture. When it comes to honoring everyone, Jesus represented it well. He picked of his own disciples a wide spectrum of people. And then ask ask this question. We just finished this series on, on your neighborhood. 
what would it take to go from where you're at now to having maybe a wide spectrum of people in your living room breaking bread? What would compel you to do that, number one, and also your neighbors to see the kingdom so much that they want to join in? Now, I know you're probably far away from something like that that's even outside of it. Maybe you're thinking, but I want to bring it to your attention. And as you come to the table, think about it. How are you using your influence for the most important thing? And if, if one manifestation of you reaching that most important thing is, is breaking bread with neighbors and work, people in your work and those around you, what are you doing to go from here to here? Peter says, honor everyone. Start there. When it comes to politics, be subject to every human institution. Let them see your good deeds to silence the critics. Because the most important thing is Christ and glorifying God. Let's, um, let's pray now and then move into that time of worship and reflection. And have the, um, the elders come and the worship team come and I'll pray for us. God, we want to represent you well. We want to be good ambassadors for you. We want to use our influence for the most important thing. We know our influence isn't uh, infinite, that there's limits. We want to use it to draw people towards truth, draw people towards you. We want people to see our good deeds not because... It makes us look so good, but because it, it's reflecting who you are. It's reflecting what your kingdom is like. So Lord, give us creative ideas, kind of like this church did with Sher- this Sheridan story thing. Give us creative ideas to demonstrate the kingdom in flesh and blood and real life. Lord, I believe our nation, our, our county, our city, our schools need desperately to see this. Help us to change the perception of what church is about, Christians are about, because right now we're getting blasted by many different areas, Lord. And it's blasting you. And Lord, we don't want to see that. Help us to have the heart of Peter, Lord. Help us to put you first. Help us to see who we are in you and to wake up every morning and to step into acts and actions that would glorify you and help others to glorify you as well. Lord, as we come to the table, we're reminded of what you've done for us on the cross, the resurrection. We're reminded that, the, that Rome did its worst to you but you defeated death. We're reminded that you paid the penalty. You paid it all. And then you rose again. Lord, I pray for the hearts in this room that maybe are afraid that they would take solace and and find comfort in your power. 
that they would fear you alone. Um, help us, God, to be a light. Speak to us now, Lord, as we come and we confess our sin, as we lay it before you, as we take the bread and the cup. Speak to us, Lord. Meet with us here. Bind up wounds. Inspire us, Lord. And help us to shine bright in all the contexts that we find ourselves on a daily basis, Lord. We love you. Amen.